got a Bible in front of you, if you could uh, turn to that portion of scripture we read earlier on, Ezra chapter 9, and from verse 1 to verse 5, Ezra 9, verse 1 to verse 5. So by the very nature of what we do in church, the very nature of what we do Sunday by Sunday, working through books like this sequentially, you know, we start chapter 1, verse 1, and we work our way through books like this. By, by doing that, inevitably, uh, we come to sections of Scripture that are difficult. Sections of Scripture that are uh, potentially uh, contentious or controversial. And it looks like that's what we have uh, tonight. Because as we try and take Ezra chapter 9, and as we try and apply it through the Holy Spirit to our situation and the situation of our congregation tonight, we really cannot help but ask a controversial question. But a question that is also potentially liberating. And the question, as you'll see from your bulletin sheet, is should Christians marry non-Christians. Should believers marry non-believers? Okay, now, before we get into the the actual body uh, of the sermon here, there's a few introductory things that need to be said. Okay, the first one. If you're sitting tonight and you are a Christian and you are uh, happily married to a believer, then please do not think that this is a time to sit back and catch up on your sleep, because that is not how we roll at London City Presbyterian Church, because the principles here, they're big principles, and they are uh, bigger than just the question of marriage. So if you want to catch up on your sleep, you just have to go to bed earlier tonight. Okay, secondly, this is not a question about people who are currently married to unbelievers. Now, if you are in that situation tonight, if you are a believer and you are married to somebody who is not then the Bible has lots to say about that. But that's not here, now, and tonight. That's for another time. And then thirdly, the third kind of introductory thing, you could be sitting tonight thinking there, wow, this is the most 
archaic question that I have ever heard in my life. Should Christians marry non-Christians? Come on, this is the 21st century. Surely we've moved on about. This is the sort of question that concerned Puritans. This is the sort of question reserved for ultra sort of orthodox sects in a, a backwater somewhere. Surely it's okay. Well, if that's what you're thinking tonight, then I would just answer that by saying that what must govern our decisions and what must govern our lives as Christians is not what society says. And what governs your behavior as a believer shouldn't be the current thinking of the Christian culture. What must govern your behavior as a Christian is what God's word has to say. What the Bible has to say. So with that in mind, and armed with this question, let's turn to Ezra chapter 9 and these first five verses. And let's consider our first point this evening. Our first point, and that is... A disregarded command. A disregarded command. <coughs> now, if you can, um, and if your memory's good, try and cast your mind back to what happened last week and last Sunday night. And if you do that, you will remember that we left things at a kind of natural break in proceedings. Do you remember what happened last week? We were in Ezra chapter 8, and we were at the Ahava Canal. And Ezra, he led his people from exile, in, he led them across this incredibly difficult journey, and we left it as these people walked through the city gates into Jerusalem. But then, there's a kind of chronological intake of breath and a pause. And there's a break at the end of chapter 8, a break of about four, four and a half months. And then, after this break, Something serious happens. Something incredibly serious happens at the beginning of chapter 9. Something serious happens to this community of faith. So what was the problem? What is this news that the leaders bring to Ezra? <clears throat> well, you see it, don't you? The, the, the people of God have been marrying outside of the community. They have been marrying people from the surrounding uh, nations and people groups. And one of the most notable aspects of this problem, of this intermarriage, is just how widespread it is. Did you pick up on that when Paul was reading through it? It's a really pervasive problem, this intermarriage. You know, it's so widespread that there's a kind of generalization in verse 1 where it says that this affected 
the people of Israel. And then what's remarkable in verse 2 is we find out that parents are involved in this. (laughs) Parents are giving their daughters away to these idolatrous people in marriage. So it's parents. And then, even more remarkably than that, we learn that the leadership have been leading the way in this. You see, it says, verse 2, then in verse 2, that the priests, the priests and the Levites have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So please pick up on that. This is a problem. And it is a pervasive, widespread thing. And then, if we consider just who it was that these people are marrying, then we begin to see the root of the problem. Because we're kind of given a list there in verse 1 of who these people were. Okay, what does it say? Well, some of them, we've got Hittites, don't we? And we've got Amorites and Canaanites and and Perizzites and so on. And we see from that that the people of God are breaking a direct command from the Lord. And Ezra picks up on that because he says in his prayer later on in the chapter, he says, by doing this, by intermarrying, we have disregarded the commands that you have given us. And he's referring there, he's referring back to a portion of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And in that portion of scripture, there God spoke to his people. He speaks to them just a just as they go into the promised land and he gives them a list of nations that they should not marry. And can you guess who was in that list? Deuteronomy chapter 7, you've got it. It's Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, and so on. So we get the picture, don't we? This intermarriage It is a problem because it is flagrant and direct disobedience of the word of God. And as we take that tonight, okay, in this room, we take that and we try and apply it to ourselves. And when we do that, we see surely that we must be a people, a community of faith, They don't just read scripture. We've got to be people who don't just listen to scripture. We have got to be a people who take scripture and obey it. Because these people, they would have been listening to Ezra teach. That's what he did. He was described, he was a teacher. He taught every day. They listened, they read, and they ignored it. And friends, we cannot be like that. We have to receive scripture and let it impact every area 
of our lives. But more specifically than that, we've got to take that attitude into this area of Christians marrying unbelievers. Because, you know, I'm sure in general we are a reasonably biblically literate group of people. And I'm pretty sure you know roughly what Scripture says about this issue. When you hear of Christians, whether they should marry non-Christians, believers with unbelievers, I'm sure your mind goes to Corinthians, doesn't it? It goes to do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wit have in common? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? We know, don't we? We know what Scripture says about this. But you see, all too often, we do what the people of Ezra did. All too often, we know what Scripture says, but we turn our backs on it. Because this is hard, isn't it? We seem ungracious if we say no to these things. So what we do is we turn away and we try and water it down. Friends, we cannot be accepting of these things. We can't. You know, in our homes... And in our churches, in our congregations, in our study schools, in our youth groups, in our one-on-one conversations with people, we've got to talk about issues like this, really, really hard issues. We've got to be praying with people about these things. We've got to teach younger people in our congregations about major issues like that. Scripture's clear in what it says. We have the commands there. And we've got to obey scriptures. We, we, we mustn't just be listeners. We must be doers too. So it's a, a disregarded command. A disregarded command. But let's move on. And let's see secondly... A principle, or the principle, of holy separation. The principle of holy separation. And really this is, folks, the, the crux of the matter. This is the key to it all. If we won't understand this portion of Scripture, and if we won't understand the, the whole of the Old Testament, And if we want to get to grips with this question that we're asking tonight, whether Christians should marry non-Christians, then we have to get our heads round a principle. And that principle is holy separation. Because we could read Ezra chapter 9 and from verse 1 to 5, and we could make a mistake. And it's a mistake that has been made time and time again. We could misunderstand the problem here. And we could think that this is about race. That it is about ethnicity. You know, we could think that 
God tells people not to intermarry in order to keep this race and people of Israel ethically or ethnically or racially pure. But that's not the case, and this is the heart of the matter. So please hear this. The problem was not about race. The problem here is and always was about faith. You know, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, the concern was never to keep the people of God ethnically separate. The concern was always to keep them spiritually separate. And we've seen this before, haven't we? Can you... I don't know if you can think back a few weeks. We looked at Ezra chapter 6. And we saw there in Ezra chapter 6 that the community of Israel accepted people into that community. Not based on race. These were outsiders. But they were willing to worship God appropriately. Now you want another example of that? Well, think about Ruth. Ruth, what a woman. What an example for us. And Ruth was a descendant of Jesus Christ. But what else was she? She was a Moabite S. She was accepted into this community. Not about race. It was about Faith, it was about holiness. It was about spiritual separation. And you see, that is why this issue of intermarriage was just so important. It's not about blood. It's not about keeping a bloodline pure from, from the Canaanites or anything like that. It was about spiritual separation. It was about ensuring that the people didn't turn to idolatrous ways. And that's why Ezra's pulling his beard out here. You know, that's why this man is so upset. He cares about what? He cares about the worship of God. You see, we just need to go back to Deuteronomy 7. Remember that list I just mentioned? You see, God there, Deuteronomy 7, he didn't just say, People, here's a list that you are not allowed to intermarry with. He doesn't say just that. He says, don't marry because because they will turn your sons away from following me. The principle is a very, very simple one. This is not about race. This is about marrying outside the faith. Do not do that or you will be turned away from following the Lord God. And generally, if we spread that the net quite wide when we try and apply that, then we can see that the principle of holy separation is something that should cover all of our lives as believers, shouldn't it? Every area of our life, we are called to be in the world, 
But we are called not to love the world. Now that's not easy, is it? You see, where did God put the people of Israel? Where did he put his people? He put his people in amongst, in the center of all these idolatrous nations. But he still said, be separate and be holy. And it is the same for us. In our lives, all around us are pagan people. All around us are idolatrous people. But yet we are called to be separate. We are called to be distinct and holy. And so, young people, single people, in the room tonight. I would say to you, you are called to be different. If you are a believer, you are called to be distinct. So do not even toy with a relationship with an unbeliever. Don't even flirt with that idea. Do not even spend any time with that idea. Just flee from it. Don't embrace it in any way. Because in Ezra 9, the the principle is so clear. The people are to be distinct. And that includes marriage. We are not to marry those outside of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it leads to unhappiness. It leads to sin. And it leads to us being turned away from God. Do you believe that? Do you? I'm sure there's people here just now saying, Ah, come on! I know Steve! And Steve... He married Julie. Steve was a Christian. Julie wasn't a Christian. But now Julie's become a Christian and everything is fine. We all know a Steve, don't we? And that's fine and that may be true. But I also know that in this room tonight, the believers here can cite ten times the amount of illustrations where the reverse is the case, where there has been the most precious and zealous and passionate Christian. And they have my believer, and today they are nowhere. They are nowhere in the faith. There is a principle, there's a command, there's an explicit command in Scripture. But there's also a governing principle. And it is a principle of holy separation, folks. Okay. Third final point. And that is an appropriate reaction to the problem. In fact, we'll put a question mark on the end of that. An appropriate reaction to the problem. Now, the BAFTAs have just passed, haven't they? 
think so. And the Brits have come and gone. And the Oscars are about to take place in a couple of weeks. So award season is in full swing. And I guess I'm just like you, that if these things are on the TV, that I will sit and I'll tune in and watch some of it. But I'm not interested in who wins. I couldn't really care. And I don't watch it for the glitz and the glamour of it. And I don't care what the people are wearing. I'm tuning in to see these crazy acceptance speeches, you know. I think the technical term is doing a Gwyneth Paltrow, you know. When these people accept the speech and then they burst into tears and there's a huge list of thank yous through bubbling away, that sort of thing. It's always usually one of these crazy reactions at the Oscars, isn't there? And is that, do you think, is that what we've got here in Ezra chapter 9? Is it? Is Ezra, is this just a sort of crazy, over-the-top reaction, or is there more to it than that? Well, we should note, friends, and we see here that Ezra appreciates the seriousness of sin, doesn't he? Ezra appreciates the seriousness, the, the severity of sin. Because what does he do? He tears his clothes. And he tears the hair out of his head. And he tears the hair out of his beard. And then he falls to the ground, absolutely appalled by the sin of intermarriage. Now, does that sound a bit crazy? Do you think that's just a sort of reaction that's probably worthy of an Oscar? Is he just putting on a show? Well, no, not a bit of it. Because you see, friends, somewhere along the line, we've lost it, haven't we? We've lost what he has. We've lost that sense and appreciation of the seriousness and the severity of sin. We've lost what it means to offend a holy and a righteous God. And we see that in Scripture time and again, don't we? Think about Paul. Think about the Apostle Paul. Now he goes into Athens and he sees a city awash with idols. And what does he do? Is he kind of nonchalant and is he calm about this? No, Scripture says that he was greatly distressed by that scene. And then think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden. Think about that. They disobeyed God once, didn't they? He said, don't eat from the tree. And they ate from the tree. And the result of that, they were thrown out of the garden. And all mankind from that point onward was tarnished with inherent sin. Do you see the point? Sin is serious. It is a 
terrible thing to offend a holy, holy God. And Ezra could see that. And that should make us, surely it should make us sit up and consider the sin in our life. And of course, it should make us consider and colour our attitude to this thing, this topic we're discussing tonight. Christians marrying unbelievers. Because you see, by dating unbelievers, by Christians pursuing unbelievers, by us entering into marriage with unbelievers, simply we are sinning, aren't we? We, by doing these things, are bringing dishonor to the name of God. We are bringing dishonor to the name of God. But I just want us to close tonight by mentioning this from the positive side of things, because it could seem a bit negative. You see, why is marriage such a big deal? Why is marriage important? We've, we talked about this recently at church. It's because a healthy relationship, a healthy union between a Christian man and a Christian woman, it points to that beautiful relationship that Christ has with his church. And I'm sure that if you are a single Christian tonight, then you care about that. Surely that has to be your foremost desire, that you want to exalt and you want to glorify in everything the name of Jesus Christ, even in your marriage. See, friends, Look afresh at Ezra in this passage. Look what he's doing and look at his attitude. And consider what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because here's Ezra in chapter 9. And this is a man who humbles himself, isn't he? This is a man who comes before God with his arms outstretched. And he identifies himself with a people's sin. He associates himself with a people's sin since that he had no part in whatsoever. Friends, think about what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you are a believer, he has taken your sin before God and he has cleansed you from it. And because of that, surely he deserves everything that you are. He deserves your praise. He deserves your worship. He deserves your service. He deserves everything. He even deserves your marriage. Friends, in absolutely everything that we are, and even who we choose as our spouse, 
he should be ultimately concerned for the glory and for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our foremost concern. Let's pray.